Uh, my name is Greg Vicar. I'm one of the pastors here. And we're continuing in our Easter series, From Death to Life. And we're bringing you real stories of people here in our church, people you know, hopefully, or you're going to get to know if you don't know them already, about what has God done in their life. And you know, we, we find this scripture in Revelations. It says, And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And this morning, you know, it's our hope and prayer that as we go through this series, you're going to be over to overcome things in your life because you're going to hear some stories of people and say, you know, if the reality of Jesus can happen for, for a person on stage, like it can happen for me too, right? That, that it's, Jesus isn't just for some, it's not for, for this class or that class, Jesus is for all people. And I think that's what we're going to find out today, that, that God has come for all of us. So this morning, we're going to be talking, the title of my message is The Healthy Don't Need a Doctor. And we're blessed to hear a story from someone that I started to get to, get to know last fall. Um, her story is familiar for New England and the country uh, because it's, it's a story of opioid addiction. So before you think, wow, addiction, that doesn't really relate to me. Like, that's not who I am. You know what? I just want you to stop for a minute. And I want you to, to, to listen. And I want you to open up your heart. Because I think there's something in this story for all of us. Because this is, this is a life that God has transformed. So it's one of a young woman who, who was very successful in life. She had a son that she loved and she adored. She was working with a child's father in a family business. They, they lived in a home in Bedford. This person could have been your neighbor. This person certainly could have been your friend. Someone you would hang out with. Until it all changed. So I'd like to invite Alexis Papagiris up this morning. She's going to give us her testimony. Yeah. Good morning. So I grew up in a big family. I'm the last of six children. Growing up, I always felt like something was missing. The only way I can describe it is that I had a huge hole in my heart. And as I became an adult, that hole never went away. I tried to fill it with people and things. I just wanted to be good enough. When I was 20, I fell in love, and for a while that love was enough, but deep inside I still knew something was missing. And at the age of 30, we had a beautiful son, we moved to a home in Bedford, we had a successful business, I thought that hole was filled. On the outside, everything seemed perfect. But again, something was deeply missing. I felt insecure and alone. And even though it seemed as though I was living the life I always dreamed, I, I always thought I was living the life I always dreamed. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, shortly became, before I became pregnant, I started having severe back pain. I needed surgery. But the doctors were hesitant because I was so young. During the pain, someone offered me a Percocet. And it took the pain away and allowed me to work and feel amazing. I continued asking for people, people for the Percocet, and my habit continued to grow. I gave birth to my son, and I was living a double life, thinking I could hold it all together, running a family restaurant, being a full-time mom. I did everything in my own strength and hid my addiction from all my loved ones. I was full of pride, and I wouldn't ask for help feeling so much guilt and shame. I smiled and acted as though I could handle life, but every time I was alone, I cried, and the pressure of being this perfect woman and mom was building resentment inside of me. 
so I did more pills to mask the pain physically and emotionally. At this point, I needed the pills to wake up, needed them to work, needed them to hide how I was feeling. It was no longer a want. My body could not function without them. My addiction became so expensive, I began stealing from the restaurant to pay for my pills. I was causing fights with my son's father because I was lying, I was being deceitful, and trying to hide this habit I had formed. I wanted to stop. I wanted to get help, but didn't think I could be honest and ask for it. I thought being honest would make me lose everything that I was working so hard to keep. This image of a strong woman... What a lie I was living. So instead, I took my son, I left my family, I left my home to live where I thought my shame wouldn't follow me. My addiction to pills didn't get any better. It only got worse. And now I was a single mom, working, trying to still hold it all together. Only now I was by myself. My pill addiction was so expensive that it led me to heroin. Heroin was much cheaper. So I traded the pills for the heroin. I never thought that taking a few pills for pain would lead me to using heroin intravenously. I really thought I was being a good mom through all of it, too. (laughs) I was getting high, but I was still going to school meetings, still playing with my son, still working. I was functioning. My oldest brother was also an addict, and we became very close through our addiction. It was not a healthy relationship, but I loved him very, very much. I remember talking with him about the deep hole that we both had in our hearts that we couldn't fill. We both lost the custody of our children. We both walked away from our families. We both knew our lives were spiraling in destruction. On January 9th of 2017, he died from an infection in his heart due to his heroin addiction. His death took me to a place emotionally that I had never been. I didn't understand why. I I understood how, but it made me feel more alone than ever. He was my big brother. I knew him. He was a good man. And despite what his habit brought him to, my brother's death didn't stop my addiction. It only made things worse. It made that hole in my heart even bigger. The drugs stopped masking my pain, and my hunger for my habit grew stronger. I had my first arrest in February, and at this time, I was not only using heroin, but I was using crack cocaine. Quickly, I started to lose everything. My job, my car, my apartment. In June of 2017, I got the call that I lost custody of my son to an ex parte motion because of my dangerous and reckless behavior. I will never forget that day or hanging up the phone. I screamed and I cried as though my son had died. The one thing that I loved, the one thing I cherished the most in this life was not coming back to me. And what hurt the most is that it was because of what I was doing. 
I was the problem. And I valued being a mother. That's all I ever wanted to be. That moment should have brought me to my knees. It should have brought me to get clean. But my addiction had such a strong grip on me, and, and, um, and death was all I thought about. And I knew, I knew my addiction could take me there. So I didn't stop. I went further. I just wanted to die. And if I couldn't succeed in death, I wanted to be numb. I did everything I said I wouldn't do in life. Not only did I go to physical places of darkness, but I was very dark inside my mind. I went to places that were full of disgust. But really, it was me I was disgusted with. I allowed, my pla- uh, I allowed myself to go to places where my body was no longer mine. I was an empty vessel. I was lifeless and broken down by my choices. Everything I had judged others for, now I was the one to judge myself. And I became more ashamed, filled with guilt and and regret. I not only felt death, I was dead inside. I had lost everything I had held valuable, and and I had lost every ounce, every ounce of dignity that I was holding on to tightly. I became homeless. I was getting high in random apartment buildings. I was stealing to support my habit. I was watching people die around me. And this was my reality. I was alone. My family had given up on me. I couldn't see my son. I had no self-worth, no, no purpose. And I didn't know how to forgive myself for the mistakes that I had made. During this time, I had been introduced to New Life Home for Women and Children. But my addiction had such a strong grip on me that I wasn't ready yet. Can you believe after all of that, I wasn't ready to give up yet? (laughs) I continued on the path of destruction and had multiple arrests. I remember every time I was arrested, sitting in the jail cell, feeling like this isn't my life. I'm not supposed to be living like this. There has to be more. There has to be more to me. There has to be more to life. I couldn't understand why I was still alive and everything around me was death. My last arrest was about eight months after my introduction to new life. And as I was sick, detoxing in my jail cell, I finally surrendered. And I was ready to face the mistakes that I had made and the pain I caused my family, but mostly my son. So I got down on my knees in my jail cell, and I cried out to God in despair and in anger. I asked God to save me or take me. Just save me or take me. And God is so faithful to answer, even when we're living a life that's far from him. Because we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who he loves and are called according to his purpose, right? So that same night, he gave me a very, very vivid dream of new life and making pies in their kitchen because God knows I love to cook. And um, the next morning, I called called multiple times to multiple people that I knew their cell phones at, at New Life Home and, and God opened a way for me to come into their program. Shortly after entering New Life, I accepted Jesus into my heart and that hole that was so empty began to fill with his love, his joy, his purpose. I finally knew what self-worth was 
and that we all make mistakes in life, but it's not how many times we fall, it's how many times we get back up. I began to forgive myself and was able to face the people I had hurt in trying to fill that empty hole inside of me. But most important, I was able to face myself. I was able to look at myself and see myself the way that God sees me, which is loved and valued. Today I have custody of my son. I will graduate college in May, and God has answered my prayers of restoring my family. It's so good. It's beyond anything I could have asked or imagined. Um, My empty hole led me to drug addiction, but for many it can be a socially acceptable addiction like food, gambling, shopping, or alcohol that are wearing you down in shame and in guilt. The guilt doesn't have to be a part of your life. You can be set free from those things that are done in secrecy, those things that are keeping you bound and feeling hopeless. Jesus raised me from the dead. He has healed the hole in my heart with his love. He has made me the woman I am today. I am no longer a slave to addiction. I have a purpose. I have self-worth. I have the love of Jesus that has restored and rebuilt me. I can honestly say to you today that I did fall but I fell forward into the arms of Jesus. Thank you. Thank you, Alexis. Wow, that is so, so powerful. Um, Yeah, you know, we're talking about the healthy don't need a doctor. And... um, you know, the, the crazy thing is, is that we, we kind of understand that at the surface level, right? And, and so many of us, like, don't we, in the, in the natural, view ourselves healthy? Like, Alexis viewed herself as healthy, you know, in, until the back pain and, and the pills. And, you know, the thing about a slippery slope is it's just that. It's slippery. And, and you don't recognize when you get on it. But, um, you know, the statement that healthy don't need a doctor, Jesus had a way of, of taking things that, that we look as natural here on the earth and, and he would just flip them upside down for us. So, so we can think about, all right, you know, of course, I'm not going to go to the emergency room if I'm not sick, right? That would, what sense would that make, right? We've probably all been and, and it, it's expensive. Like, don't go to the emergency room unless you really, really have to. So we understand this concept that healthy don't need a doctor, but, but Jesus took it and, and he started to, to um, just flip it for us. And that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. But, but before we do, I want to ask this question, what is it to be healthy? Like, what is your definition of healthy? Is healthy where you are? Alexis thought she was healthy. Even in the midst of her addiction, she thought, hey, I'm, I'm functioning. I'm doing what I can do. Like, in some respects, she was still healthy to herself anyway. So is healthy being maybe successful? Is that our definition of, of healthy this morning, right? I, I can think I'm successful. You can think, Alexis thought she was successful. Is it, is it maybe having a positive impact on others? Is that what, what health looks like, right? You know, I, I've gone here and I've worked at the food ministry. I've, I've helped out the homeless. I've, I've done this, I've done that. Is that what being healthy is? Maybe it's living your truth, Right? We hear this so often today, and, and it's actually a very interesting statement as a believer, because as believers, we should be living our truth. And we know that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Right? We should be living Jesus. We should be ambassadors for Jesus. 
But, but maybe, maybe if you don't know Jesus, it's just living your truth, right? We, we hear that so often. Is that what healthy is? Or maybe it's being in a position to judge others. And, and you might say, what? That doesn't sound so healthy to me that you're judging others. But, but let's get honest for a minute, right? Well, that's what we like to do here at Shiloh be honest. Like, who of us hasn't judged someone else, right? We, we say we're not biased. We say we're not... Pre- but, but you know what? The truth is, when was the last time you drove down the city... Uh, down down into Manchester in the city and you're stopped at a corner and there was someone there that said, you know, uh, I'm homeless. And, and they're asking for a donation and you're like, what, 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 what thought went through your mind? They're probably a drug addict. You know, I don't know what they're going to do with it. Uh, you know, maybe they just really needed a hand up. It's possible. But, but so often, like we do, we judge others, especially in the church, unfortunately. And, and you know what? That's not what Jesus wants us to do. That's not what he calls us to do, to, to judge others. So I want to read this morning from a story in Matthew. Um, and before I, I talk about the story, I just want to give you a background that, um, you know, Jesus is heading out with his disciples. He's going to a lake. It's a beautiful time of year, you know, right now. Maybe you want to go to a lake today, right? So he's going to a lake, and, and while he's at the lake, he's going to be, he's teaching the crowd, and, and the crowds are coming to him. And, and as he walks along the lake, he comes across this man named Levi. And Levi is a tax collector. And you see, the thing about tax collectors is the Jews were under Roman oppression. But some of the most wealthy Jews would volunteer to be a tax collector. So they're a Jew and they're collecting taxes for the, for the Roman Empire from their fellow Jews. And why they volunteered was because it would make them richer. Because they could add whatever tax they wanted on and no one could argue with them. So the Jewish tax collectors were despised. It's like it's the enemy within their own race, right? So, so, so to be a Jew and to be a tax collector was, was really low. But Jesus walking along and he sees Levi. And, and knowing who Levi is, because it's very evident he's, he's in the tax collecting booth, right? Jesus says to him, hey, would you follow me and be my disciple? And it's like, like everything that's normal is just popping for the, for the people that are watching. Like, Jesus, why would you ask this known sinner, this traitor of our people to, to be your disciple? Jesus, you're the rabbi and you're asking this person, Levi, who we know as Matthew, who wrote the gospel of Matthew, to be his disciple. So Levi is so excited. What does he do? He has a dinner for Jesus and, and the, the other disciples are there, and Levi invites who? His friends. Guess who his friends are? They're other tax collectors. They're other sinners. They're, they're other people, right? Can you just imagine if CNN was taping right then, or, or ABC, right? What would the headline be? Jesus, the rabbi, is inviting tax collectors to be his disciples. Like, Jesus, there's a certain pedigree. You, you need to, like, study the Torah. You need to pass tests to become a disciple of a rabbi. You don't just ask anyone. Especially someone like Levi. So to the Pharisees, Jesus was dangerous. He was unconventional. He was a threat to organized religion. And after all, most of his followers were disreputable sinners. Jesus, how could you have followers like this? So it's this backdrop that we're going to look into two verses this morning. Mark 6, Mark 2, 16 and 17. And it says, but when the teachers of religious law who were Pharisees saw him eating with tax collectors and other sinners, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with such scum? 
That's pretty frank, isn't it? Like, do you, do you have any, do you have any misconception about what they were trying to say? Like, they, that is such an obvious put down to Jesus and to the people that he's hanging around. Why is he eating with such scum? Who gave the Pharisees that right to judge like that? See, they thought that they were, the Pharisees were the religious people of the day. They're, they're probably like, you know, the ones that would get up and teach others in the synagogue. They had, they had studied the Torah. They, they knew the law. They were trying to live the law. But yet in, in, in their efforts to find God through the law, they missed Jesus. And, and they missed what he was doing. And, and in fact, that could be you and I today, that we could miss Jesus in our effort to find God. We could miss Jesus. They missed him. And they were the most religious people of the day. So Jesus hears what he says and he comes back to them and he says, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. And I've come to call not those who think they're righteous, but those who know they are sinners. Right, just take in that verse for a minute because this is where Jesus just turns everything upside down. You thought you were standing on your feet, now you're on your head. Right? What he's really trying to say is this. Healthy are people who think they're righteous. What does it mean to be righteous? Right? To be righteous, you don't have any sin. You're doing everything right. That's who healthy people are. Sick people are those people who know they're sinners. And Jesus was, was contrasting for the Pharisees, like, who do you think you are? Are you healthy or are you righteous? And, and I think we should ask the question of all of ourselves today. Am I healthy? Or, or, am I, or, or am I sick this morning? So that, that's the track, see, that, that Alexis was on. She thought she was healthy. And that's the danger that you and I face. We can think we're healthy, and that's probably the most dangerous place to be at all. Because if, if healthy means we've got it all together, and we're living life for ourselves, and, and like I can do it by myself, that's really not healthy. That, that's a health that sooner or later, there's going to be a slippery slope. I don't know what it will be, but sooner or later, you might find yourself on that and you have no way back. Right, we, I mean, uh, Alexis talked about her opioid addiction, right? Some of us, we're addicted to success. We don't know how to stop working. We don't know how to stop trying to be more successful. Maybe, maybe we think we can handle it, but you know what? The, the couple of beers we're having is turning into too many beers, and all of a sudden we're, we're just flying off the handle, and it's no fun anymore. Right? Maybe we're looking to fill the voids and the holes in our life with, with a, a pornography addiction or, or overeating or gambling or, or what would it be? Fill in the blank. Right? We don't look at these things as addictions, but you know what? Addicts never call themselves addicts. Addicts call themselves like, I can handle this. I'm doing all right. Yeah, I got this. But you see, that's the danger that we fall into when we think we're healthy and we can do it by ourselves. So what's the lie that the enemy speaks to all of us today? Right, the, the lie that he started off with in the Garden of Eden, the lie that's, that's present in our culture today and probably the lie you have in your own head is that you can do it by yourself and you don't need God. I, I can do it by myself. I'm pretty strong. Right? That's what the enemy said to Adam and Eve in the garden. He's like, did God really say that you can't eat of any of these trees? Like, eat. 
You're not going to die. You're going to be like God. Do, do your own thing. Live your truth, right? That's the lie of the enemy, that he's like, you don't need God. You can do it by yourself. So as we close this morning, I want to ask this question. What choice will you make today? What choices are you making? Are you going to let your past define you and hold you back? Right? For someone like Alexis, she was deep, deep down in the mud. And she still wasn't really ready for new life. She wasn't ready to say, I I need something. I need help. Right? She could let her past define her. Now, maybe you or I don't have a, a similar past to that, but we all have a past. We all have things that hold us back, right? There's, there's weights that, that hang around each of our neck, right? Are you going to let the past define you or are you going to let it hold you back, right? Maybe your past of being successful is actually holding you back because you're like, I'm, I'm doing life pretty good. I, I don't really need Jesus. I'm going about my thing. I'm, I'm doing, doing my job and, and I'm having fun. It's just all about having fun. But, but understand this. See, if when we compare ourselves to Jesus, we're all sinners. None of us are righteous is what the word of God says. There's none righteous. No, not one. We're all sinners. We all need a savior. Right? The penalty for our sin is death. It's eternal death. But Jesus offers us a choice. You don't have to live like that. You don't have to let your past define you. You don't have to let your past hold you back. You know, another choice we have is we can continue on to be a functioning addict, right? It may not be an addict of of drugs, but it could be an addict of something else. And we can continue on in that way. But that's still living life for ourselves. That's still saying, I can do this by myself. I don't really need God. I'm good. And, you know, even coming to a church on a Sunday morning, you could still be living your life that way. It's You know, coming to a church and sitting in a seat doesn't mean that you've given your life fully to Jesus. It just means that God is fitting better into your life, maybe, but not that you've necessarily given your life to him. But but what I think the choice that I'm hoping we would all make today, that we would turn to God with all of our heart. So I was talking this week with a a couple. We were talking about marriage, and, and I was asking them, hey, what's the difference between, like, just being a boyfriend and girlfriend and being married? What's the difference? And they're like, oh, well, you know, this and that, and we're talking about different things. And, you know, the, the essential difference between being a boyfriend and a girlfriend and being married is you had a wedding day, right? There was a day you had a, you, you had a, a, a wedding and you made a marriage covenant together. You made that marriage commitment. You know, and, and the thing about knowing God is we can be his girlfriend, right? So I'm saying girlfriend in the sense of, Jesus explained to us in the New Testament, or God explains in the New Testament, that this relationship a man and a woman have in marriage, he fashioned the relationship of Jesus as the bridegroom and us as the church as his bride. He fashioned the marriage relationship after this relationship that Jesus has with his bride. So for a moment, consider we're all the bride of Christ. But you're only the bride of Christ if you've, if you've had that wedding day commitment, right? Before you're the bride, what are you? You're the girlfriend. So Jesus could be your boyfriend. You could be hanging out with him. You could love to spend time with him. But you've never made a commitment, right? And, and what does it mean to make a commitment? Well, you know when you've made a commitment. Like, how, ask anybody. How do, you know you've, how do you know if you're married? Well, you had a wedding day. Like, that's how you know you're married. It's really not that complicated, but so many of us, see, we, we come to church and we think, all right, I'm doing this God thing, like God's kind of fitting into my life. 
but he's just your boyfriend. He's not your husband yet. Right? The way you know that you've given your life to God is you have that wedding day. You have that time where you're like, Jesus, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you my life and I'm going to pray a prayer. Just like we have a wedding vow, we pray a, what I like to call a sinner's prayer. Why? Because I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. We're all sinners. We say that sinner's prayer. And it's not just a one time, okay, I say a prayer and now I've given God everything. No, you've got to walk it out. Right? I was just reading this past week in, in, in uh, the Gospels where Jesus challenged the Pharisees. Look, not just coming to, to get water baptized. You've got to prove that you've changed by the fruit of your repentance, right? There's got to be some fruit in your life. See, fruit grows when, the, when a tree is an orange tree, it's going to grow oranges. When it's a pear tree, it's going to grow pears. You can't have oranges on a pear tree. But if, if you've had that time in your life where you've said a sinner's prayer, you've had your wedding day, so to speak, you've given your life to Jesus, he's going to start to grow different fruit on your tree. You're going to start to see something change in your life. You're going to start to see more love, more compassion, more, more faithfulness to him. You're going to want to spend time with him, right? Something changes in our heart. And that's when you see the fruit in your life, that's how you know that the prayer you made, that commitment you made to him on your wedding day was you gave him your life because you're seeing a difference that lived out. So, so this morning, if you've been coming to church or maybe you've been watching online and you're like, Greg, I've never really heard it explained this way that, that I need to give my life to Jesus, not just recognize who he is and, and, and praise the Lord and, and thank him for what he's done. No, I, I need to pray and I need to commit my life to him. See, Jesus, he died on the cross for us. He gave his life for us. That's his half of the marriage vow. Now our half is, God, I'm gonna give you my life. And I want you to live through me, in me. Let me fulfill the will that you have called me to. See, that's the purpose that we have is, God, I'm going to live for you. And, and then it's such an exciting life that we, we, we enter in. So many people I talk to are like, oh, I don't really want to say that prayer because I'm afraid I'm never going to have any fun anymore. Yeah, you know what? Alexis thought she was having fun, but the fun didn't turn out to be so much fun, right? So, so I guarantee you, you give your life to Jesus, you start to fulfill his purpose for your life, you will never, ever feel so fulfilled. So could we just pray together? If, if you're here and... And maybe you've done this and you've walked away from God. The way you come back to God is the same way you come to him originally. You just say a prayer from your heart. And then you say, God, now I want the power to live it out. It's not just a one-time event. It's a lifelong event that we do for the rest of our lives in terms of having faith in God. So let's, let's pray together. If you've never prayed this prayer, just pray with me silently in your heart. Pray with me from your home. That would be fine. But Father God, we come to you in the name of Jesus. We recognize that we're sinners. And Lord, we're sorry for our sin. We ask you to forgive us, to cleanse us. And God, we want to live for you. We we want you to be our Lord and Savior. So God, we give our lives to you. Lord, give everything that we have. Lord, all our our abilities, we we give to you. God, would you live through us? Lord, would, would we fit into the purposes and the plans that you have for us? God, fill us with your love. Fill us with your peace, with your joy. God, let us be your ambassadors to tell others about the good news of Jesus Christ, that he came to save us. So thank you, God, for filling our hearts. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, if you're here today and you've prayed that prayer, I want to give you a book. If you're online and you've prayed that prayer, I want to give you a book. It's called Living in Christ. See, it's not a one-time event. You've got to start living for Jesus Christ. And this book will help you do that.